Uh, Psalm 119, as you know, is the longest chapter in the whole of scriptures. It's one of my favorite chapters. I've spent some time studying it and examining it and doing studies on it. But I was particularly taken back to this, actually, this particular stanza for um, a specific reason, which I'll get to in, in just a moment. Um, you are no doubt familiar with that phrase, hindsight is always twenty twenty. Which is an interesting phrase, and I remember in the year 2020, everyone was using that phrase as sort of an inside joke because of how 2020 went with COVID and all. No one could have had hindsight on that year, which is interesting just because of the phrase that is often used. But this expression, uh, I'm sure you're familiar, it's meant to sort of just insinuate that we can only have clarity or understanding of a certain situation of of sort of the heat of the moment after that moment has passed. When we're in the heat of the moment, all we can feel is the heat. All we can see is the trial. All we can see is the storm. Or all we can see are perhaps the discrepancies. It's only after sort of the storm subsides, if the trial, or you will, if, if, it, if it sort of dissipates, that's when all of the details that we missed before suddenly become crystal clear. And we can see how all the dots connect. Perhaps you uh, are familiar with this sort of idea when you're thinking about you know, your past life, some events in your past. And what was so obvious, what is so obvious to you now was so foreign to you back then. And you almost think, how in the world did I ever think that way? <laughs> that sort of concept is hindsight is always twenty twenty. We always have a clearer vision on things after they occur. And I think this is really true for our spiritual lives too, not just our, our sort of uh, our physical lives or our relational lives or our family lives or anything like that, but also with our spiritual lives when we are going through moments in our lives where God is teaching us something and we're trying to scratch and claw and know what that is. Because sometimes God's lesson for us isn't overtly obvious in the moment. It's sometimes hidden. Behind frustration or guilt or uh, grief or sorrow. It's often hidden behind something else that God is ushering us through. And when we're in those moments, it doesn't feel good. And we don't actually want God to keep teaching us. I want you to take us out of this lesson. This lesson is not good. (laughs) But it's often after we've gone through the fog of some such loss or upheaval or Some such situation that I think we often gain hindsight. Hindsight, though, from the Lord, which is even better, I would say, than hindsight is 2020. Because hindsight for the Christian is that often repeated phrase that I think sometimes gets thrown around too much, but I love the phrase even still. It's that phrase God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. It's a phrase that we use a lot. And sometimes I can think it be, can be used poorly, but I think oftentimes it's meant to show us exactly who God is. God is the good one, the just one, the right one. And even when we don't feel it, he is still good. And he's still doing something that is leading us to our good, even if we are unaware or we can't see it. And that's sometimes the hardest part about faith is when we can't see those things that God is trying to show us that is good, that he's leading us to. 
Again, as I said, the heat of the moment has a way of blinding us to what God may be up to. But to be sure, he's, he is up to something. He's up to something that will often bring us to the ends of ourselves and to the, we could say, the beginning of our faith or to the beginning of our hopes. But we can be sure, I think, as David, I think, is here pondering in this particular section of Psalm 119, is that always and everywhere, God is working to bring about his goodness in us and to us and for us. And always, he's looking to reveal his goodness more sharply, more vividly. And sometimes that is often learned through tears and through heartache. But that's what God does. He reveals his goodness in his word and in his works and in what he does and what he's declared. That's how God shows us that he is good. And I think that that's exactly what David is here considering in these verses. 65 through 72. Just a small portion of this beloved chapter which spends so much time pondering and meditating and reflecting on the goodness of God that's precisely found where? In the words of God that he finds such a rich and sweet savor, David does. And I think even here, you can kind of see some of that richness that comes out through David's own sort of frustrations. David's own sort of harrowing moments. He is leading even himself and others perhaps who would come across these lines to reflect on the goodness of God. And to say truly, God is good all the time. So I think there's... Three things for us here this morning, or this evening rather, about how we too can, like David, reflect on this goodness of God. So number one, remembering the goodness of the past. Remembering the goodness of the past. Here, look at verse 65 where David begins remembering this good dealing that God has given towards him. Notice he says, you... Lord, have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. This, of course, dealt well is is a reflection on past well dealing. He is reflecting on how good God has been to him through past moments of life. He says something similar in verse number 17 of the same chapter. So go up a couple of stanzas. Notice where he says, deal bountifully with your servant, That I may live and keep your word. One of the things that when I've studied Psalm 119 is I don't believe that David wrote this psalm in one sitting. I don't believe that he was just in the heat of a moment and writing this psalm in one inspired sort of moment of of just awesome inspiration. (laughs) Actually what I believe and I have no way of proving this. That's just my gut feeling. So don't don't take this as... (laughs) You can take this or leave this. Take it with a grain of salt. Um, But what I believe is that actually David composed this psalm over the course of time. It was almost always he was running back to the same theme over the course of his life. And and how I imagine it is that at one time he wrote verse 17. And at another point in his life he wrote 65. (laughs) And you can kind of see that where he prays for God. Continue to deal bountifully with me. That I may live according to your word. And then here in verse 65 he says, you've done it. (laughs) You have dealt well with me. According exactly as you promised. I think that's what he's 
just confessing, and that's what he's testifying. He's confessing to the fact that God has lived up to his word. And I think what is most profound is if you kind of take a step back and remember who it is that's writing this psalm. Of course, it's David, the most prolific of the psalm writers. And of course, we know David's life. How then is it that David could say, you have dealt well with me? Think about David's past. The grief that he endured. We've touched on it several times. Preached on it. Perhaps you've heard it countless times in church. It bears repeating all of those things that David encountered throughout his life. Moments of just abject grief and suffering and anguish. As there was almost a constant barrage of torment on David. From a very young age. Thrust into battle. And then immediately, he, after he's anointed, he, he becomes a fugitive of the very kingdom that he has promised to one day rule. And then when he's in office, he, he, he screws up his life through his own decisions and leads to more upheaval in his family. And then, then again, goes on the run from his very own son. Constant wars, constant battling, constant frustration, constant sorrow. If you look at David's life from a certain point of view, if you look at it just from the surface level of events, what do you see? You see anguish. You see heartache. You see losing a baby after uh, sort of his affair is found out and after that whole conspiracy with Uriah is found out. All of, all of these events you just see, I see populating in my mind of seeing David crying. And yet, what does he testify to here? You, you have dealt well with me, God. Exactly as you have promised. It's actually, when you think about it, it's kind of a crazy thing to say. Because if I were a human, I wouldn't look at that and be like, man, God's been good. Actually, God's led me through some upheaval, I would say. A lot of a lot of people, a lot of upsetting of the fruit basket, if we will. And in many ways, I think this is reminiscent of Joseph's testimony from Genesis. You don't have to go there if, unless you want to, but in Genesis chapter fifty, Joseph, that great patriarch of the faith, says almost the same sort of thing. Perhaps you're familiar with this verse as well. Genesis fifty, verse twenty. What does he say? But Joseph said to them, "Do not fear, for I." For am I in the place of God as for you, talking to his brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. (laughs) Again, just like David, you can sort of swap out characters. Look at Joseph's life. Is that a good life? (laughs) On the surface of it, no. Betrayed by his brothers, sold. Actually, they wanted to kill him, but luckily one of his brothers who had sort of a soft heart for him saved his life. Let's just throw him in a pit. And then he was sold into slavery. And and now, (laughs) now what? He's constantly barraged by people accusing him, people he's trusted backstabbing him, let alone his own brothers, let alone those who he had grown close to while he was in Egypt. 
constantly. He is thrown into situations that he had no choice over. (laughs) And what does he say at the end of his life? You meant it for evil. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. That is a testimony of faith. That is a testimony of one who trusts and clings to the fact that God is good all the time. Even when circumstances don't look like it. Even when the surface level of events doesn't make a lick of sense. You're clinging to the faith that God is good. Even when events don't seem to match up. And I think that's the hard part. God's goodness isn't always felt. But it's always there. It's always present. For us, especially the church, we have the goodness of God living in us through the Holy Spirit, ministering to us at all times. His promises then are sure. They're steadfast, as here David is testifying. Deal well with me. You have dealt well with me. You see, the thing is, God's promises are sure whether we're resting in them or not. His word stands fast whether we're relying on it or not. It is secure either way. It is a sure, resting rock that we have provided for us in God himself. But we can rest assured that God is always good to us. As he says here, according to your word. And notice, that I think is a key phrase. It sort of qualifies how God is dealing well. Not with what? According to what we want. According to how our trajectory of life would go. But according to his will. According to his word. Do you think that Joseph had in mind that trajectory of life? <laughs> maybe, he, maybe he always imagined that he would be the number two under Pharaoh. Maybe not. Probably not. <laughs> But I surely, uh, I can, you can rest assured that he didn't imagine that that's how he would get there. <laughs> that's not the path that he would take. That's not the normal path that one climbs up the corporate ladder, so to speak. <laughs> think, about, think about your own life and where you are now. Maybe you would say you're on sort of the other side of a moment of upheaval where you've been forced to really strain to see God's goodness. And some of that hindsight is sort of becoming clear. I can probably bet that you wouldn't say that that's what you would want God to lead you through. (laughs) What you just went through. It's not what we would have chosen. It's not what we would have yearned to just run after. And yes, let's go through this hardship. (laughs) But what does God do? He leads us according to his word. Always showing us what? That he is good. All the time and all the time God is good. I think often we are disappointed in what God does because I think we have false dreams or false expectations or false anticipations of what we think God has promised us. What we expect to happen, sometimes he subverts that expectations or sometimes he dashes them entirely. But just like David and just like Joseph, I think we can pray exactly as they prayed. That whatever event is transpiring, God means it's for our good. And we can trust in that because David here is trusting in the fact that God is good and he's reflecting on that past goodness that he has experienced firsthand. And I think we can even see that in our own lives. How 
how good he is, how he never fails, how he never, uh, never gives up on we who are so constantly failing. One thing my, my pastor from Florida used to say, and I, I liked that he said it, so I'm just taking it for myself. God is always better than we give him credit for. And often I think that's so exactly true. Because we have a certain perception of God's goodness in the moment. And then often what do we find? Hindsight is 2020. We realize just how sovereign God was nudging us throughout all those winding pathways of uncertainty and indecision and failure. John Piper used to say, and he said in one of his books, God is always doing 10,000 things in your life, and you may be aware of three of them. <laughs> and I like that. Because it's so true. God is always up to something, and we're not often aware of what that is. <laughs> Maybe you will be aware later on after you come out of this fog of suffering and sorrow or whatever it might be, and you come out of it and say, man, look at how good God was. And then you maybe you realize a couple more ways, more than just three, of how God was maneuvering, how God was working. God's goodness is always greater than we remember it. One way to, to be hopeful and faithful, I think, in the present is just to remember God's goodness in the past. But also, I think, too, number two, not only remembering God's goodness in the past, but rejoicing in the goodness of the present. Rejoicing in the goodness of the present because this experience of this goodness of God, this, this favor that, and this help and this kindness and this mercy that David receives you're, uh, leads him to pray for more experiences of it in the present. Notice what he says in verse number 66. Teach me good judgment and knowledge for I believe your commandments. Notice verse 68. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. And look at verse 71. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. You see David's heart here. It's a heart that I would say I would love to have as well. That I pray that God instills in me. As he says, he almost is opening himself up to the Lord and saying, Teach me, God, how to judge rightly, how to know rightly and believe rightly these things that I see according to your word. That I might rejoice in your goodness, even when it doesn't match up. You see, I think oftentimes what occurs in our lives is only understood as we get in this word that we have in front of us. And I think it's very often when we veer away from these holy words of God and when we try to understand events and put them together and try to make sense of what God is doing without him, that's when we set ourselves up for failure. That's when we set ourselves up for being broken and hurt. He prays to God, discipline me. That's what that word teach means. Discipline, train, <laughs> chastise. You can imagine a personal trainer <laughs> getting on to this guy who needs to work out. <laughs> train me. <laughs> Sometimes I think people that go to the gym and they say that they don't know what they're asking for. <laughs> because if you say train me, you better believe that if it's, he's a good personal trainer, what is he going to do? He's probably going to get in your face. <laughs> 
not let you give up when you want to not put that barbell down. He's going to get you to keep going. Even when you don't think you can. And essentially that's what David is praying for here. Train me to trust, have a trust in your word. That even when all about me is enemies. When all about me is horror. When all about me is loss. Give me the judgment and the knowledge to continue believing in what you have said. (laughs) And sometimes this comes through affliction. Oftentimes it comes through affliction. Sometimes that's what it takes. (laughs) You notice he says that in verse number 71. It is good for me that I was afflicted. Sort of like what we were talking about this morning. Who can say that? (laughs) Who rejoices in the fact that they've gone through affliction? It's one who can rejoice in the goodness of God that never abates, that always persists. Martin Luther, the great reformer of the 1500s said, I never knew the meaning of God's word until I came into affliction. I have always found it one of my best schoolmasters. (laughs) And I think indeed that's what David is here, right here, saying. That for him, affliction, heartache was a schoolmaster, was a teacher, was a trainer for him. That taught him and disciplined him in the way to see and trust and believe in the goodness of God. And indeed, I'm going to steal some of my thunder from Hebrews, but it's really far away, so you probably won't remember it. It's in chapter 12, so who knows when we'll get there. The Lord knows. But Hebrews chapter 12, one of Matt Shively's favorite chapters, but a couple of verses down from his favorite verses in verse number 10. Notice what God says. Hebrews uh, 12 verse 10. For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But notice what. But he disciplines us for our good. That we may share his holiness For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. (laughs) In the moment, what occurs? (laughs) Pain, hardship. It is not always fun doing burpees or doing (laughs) sit-ups. It's painful, it's hard, it's difficult. It's not fun trying to train and constantly train. and Rather, your body is telling you, you should stop. But it is through that, through some of those painful moments where what happens? Our faith blossoms and our trust blooms. And then we can say that affliction was good. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. His discipline trains us. Even as David says here, it is good for me that I was afflicted. Why? That I might learn your statutes. And not just learn them, but to cherish and to treasure them. That's what God does. He sometimes allows Affliction and hardship that we might learn the the true nature of how God comforts us. That's where we learn, I think, to really practice our faith when we are pressed. And I think that's truly when we can learn how God comforts those who are oppressed. Because again, just like the Hebrew writer sort of insinuates, when we're 
when we're in the moments of discipline, what would we rather do? What would we rather have happen? Take us out of this. We would, what do we pray for when, our, when goodness seems so far away? We want to be taken out of trouble. But what is God's constant reminder? What is his promise? It is not absence from trouble, but it is presence in trouble. His presence in our troubles, in our chastisements, in our times of discipline and heartache and trouble. And that's exactly what Jesus offers. You see, Jesus is that that goodness of God that we can rejoice in. Because by his spirit, we have a never-ending promise of goodness that is always with us. We can remember the goodness of the past. Rejoice in the goodness of the present. But also rest on the goodness of the future. Rests on the goodness of the future. I love that verse 68. Where David says, really succinctly, you are good and do good. <laughs> this is, I, I take it to be the, 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 the Old Testament version of God is good all the time and all the time God is good. <laughs> you are good God and you do good. Even when I don't perceive it, I believe it. I think he's seen that to be proven true throughout David's life. He's seen that constant fog of suffering, discipline, and he can say, look at what God is doing. And such is why he attests to the all-surpassing value of God's word above all else. Notice what he says. The law of your mouth, notice, is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Is worth infinitely more. There's nothing that can compare to this word that teaches me, that, to- that tells me how to withstand in the struggle, that tells me how to get on when I can't see the goodness of God in my life. God's word is above all else more excellent, more valuable. Why? Because it tells us about goodness personified, it tells us about Jesus. <laughs> It tells us about the one who is goodness. So inexhaustible and so potent. What does the goodness of Jesus do? It it consumes and subsumes all of our badness, if you will. (laughs) That's what the law of God is teaching us all throughout it. It's pointing us to the one who is good. (laughs) He embodies the goodness of God here on this earth. It tells us the one who, by his goodness and grace, purchased our righteousness at the expense of his own blood. This is why the law of God is far more valuable than any wealth we could accumulate. You know, that's what's so fascinating about this text here that David is here confessing. That oftentimes, what, I think perhaps we even have the same thoughts. That... What will help us not feel some of those heartaches is what? It's a couple of more zeros in our bank account. Man, my watch keeps going off. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> a couple more zeros in our bank account. That's what will help us see the goodness of God, right? Sometimes we think that. That'll help us rest. That'll help us cope. That'll help us not feel so frazzled. And what does David say? <laughs> no. 
The only thing that's lasting, the only thing that is, that is getting me by is this word which tells me of you who are good. Did you know that that's the same for us? Right where we are, right here, right now. Right here in this life. Maybe you can think of something very present in your mind. That God has ushered you through, led you through, and it's not felt good. Every day, despite that, despite how awful it sometimes feels, and it is awful, despite the hardship. Every single day you wake up, you know what you wake up with? If you believe in Jesus, you believe also in the persistent presence of goodness that is not earned by you. Therefore, it cannot be lost. You know what it is? It's a gift that he's given you. (laughs) And it's there for you constantly. God's goodness never abates. God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. That's not just a happy, clappy sort of sentiment that's meant to just pump you up. This is a truth of who God is. Whatever your hardship, you face it with the assurance of ongoing goodness. Notice what he says in verse 69 before we close. The insolent smear me with lies. But with my whole heart, I keep your precepts. Their heart is unfeeling like fat, but I delight in your law. These constant barrage of people who are trying to get you to not to believe, not trust, not follow, not go the way of the word, not go the way of Christ. They're smearing you. They're lying about you. They're trying to deceive you. And what does David say? I'm delighting in your word above all else. In every season, God is good. And you know what? Is the most hopeful part of that is the world can never take that away. The world cannot take away the gift of God's goodness that he has given to you in Christ. That is yours. Peter, you know what Peter calls it? An inheritance that is impenetrable. I think he uses a different word in First Peter. But he calls it an inheritance that cannot be touched. That cannot be afflicted. Or affected by anything you endure. That's what we cling to. My friends, you have a God who is good. And all the time, he remains good. And no matter what sort of difficulty is blinding that to you. My prayer for you is that you would cling to this promise above all else. That you would trust in this word. Trust in this God who is good all the time. Let us pray.